So typically we consider estimated weights of babies that are greater than 45 grams, which is about 10 pounds, as larger than normal, okay? And we call them macrosomic. But what we really want to know is whether your baby is too big for your pelvis, okay? So that's the short way of saying somebody can deliver a 10-pound baby or an 11-pound baby. I mean, I've seen an 11-pound baby be born vaginally before. It's really about so much more than just weight, okay? So weight is just really one factor when estimating, you know, whether you are going to have a successful vaginal delivery. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where you'll gain the knowledge and confidence you need to erase the unknowns of pregnancy and birth and rock the newborn days like a boss. My name is Liesl Teen. I'm a fellow mom, labor and delivery nurse, and your host. Each week on this podcast, you'll hear a mix of birth stories, expert interviews, and other fun pregnancy and birth-related content. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now let's get into this week's episode. Hey guys, happy Monday. So this week on the podcast, I had my sister, Jenna. You guys know her. She's been on here before and she's just on Instagram as well. I had her on the podcast and we did a little ask me anything about labor and delivery episode. (laughs) I had done a live a few months ago on Instagram or it wasn't exactly a live and you'll hear me talk about it in the beginning of the episode. But basically, I took some of the remaining questions that you guys submitted to me for that live and answered those. So I talked about inductions. I talked about the big baby myth, epidural side effects, partner tips, and more. So let's dive right in. I've seen it in the delivery room time and time again. Mamas that complete some kind of childbirth education before they're due have a more positive birth. So then why do less than one third of all moms take a birth class? Probably because so many of the options out there are either way too expensive, super inconvenient, or just don't offer mamas really what they need. That's why I created the Birth It Up online birthing classes. With Birth It Up, you'll gain the in-depth knowledge and confidence you need to have a better birth from the comfort of your own home at a price point that can't be beat. Head on over to mommylabornurse.com backslash courses to find the birth class that's right for you. And now let's get into this week's episode. Hi, Jenna. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast. Thanks so much for being here today with me. Well, thanks for having me. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Can you tell our new listeners who you are and a little bit about you? Yes. My name is Jenna. I am Liesl's little sister, assistant and everything else in between. (laughs) I do a lot of the background stuff. Sometimes you'll see me in reels here and there, but I'm in the mommy labor nurse space a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully going to be into more reels soon and just have your face a little bit more on there. But yeah, Jenna is my sister. And today, guys, we are doing, I know I said it in the intro, but we're going to just answer some questions. This is going to be kind of just like an ask me anything episode. I was supposed to do a live last week, but it was not live because I got flagged for a post that was not against Instagram's community guidelines. And they flagged it. And when they flag a post like that, you can't go live. And I didn't know that. And if you saw my stories that day, I was really mad. (laughs) Jenna and I were supposed to do it together just like this. 
and we couldn't. So I just did it in my stories. It wasn't a live, but I had you guys submit a bunch of questions for that live. And so I just took about 10 of the questions that I didn't answer in that quote unquote live. So we're going to go over them today. And Jenna's just here because I feel like it's, you know, when there's two people, the conversation just flows a little bit better. So Jenna's just going to be my question asker. Yes, I will not do any answering, just asking. I might ask you some <laughs> questions. Is that okay? That's fine with me. All as right. long as it's not medical related. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, we're going to try and keep this to 30 minutes because the live that I was supposed to do was supposed to be under 30 minutes. So let's see if we can do all 10 of these questions in under 30 minutes. So ready, set, go. Okay. First question. At my 36 and one week ultrasound last week, my baby was measuring eight pounds, five ounces. OB is concerned. Obviously that's already so big. I'm so confused and nervous if I should be induced at 39 weeks, have a scheduled C-section, just go to term and try a vaginal delivery, et cetera. Just not sure my best option with such a big baby. Yeah. So this one is tough because that is quite A big baby at eight pounds, five ounces. But here's the thing, and I've done posts on this before. Ultrasounds, you know, unfortunately, they're not super accurate in weight prediction, especially towards the end. So, well, I mean, I think the literature says like plus or minus two pounds. So if your OB is measuring eight pounds and five ounces, there's a chance that I don't think your baby would be 10 pounds at 36 weeks. That's a little crazy, Whoa. but there's a chance. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a chance that it could be as small as like six pounds and five ounces. And that's still pretty big for a 36 weeker. So anyways, I would first ask you, I know you're not here, so I can't really ask you, but do you have gestational diabetes? Because if you have gestational diabetes, that is definitely a reason why your baby might be measuring, you know, more on the big side. But I thought for this question, I would kind of go over like the whole big baby myth. So typically we consider estimated weights of babies that are greater than 45 grams, which is about 10 pounds, as larger than normal, okay? And we call them macrosomic. But what we really want to know is whether your baby is too big for your pelvis, okay? So that's the short way of saying somebody can deliver a 10-pound baby or an 11-pound baby. I mean, I've seen an 11-pound baby be born vaginally before. It's really about so much more than just weight, okay? So weight is just really one factor when estimating, you know, whether you are going to have a successful vaginal delivery. So when we talk about this, we talk about three things, power, passenger, and passage. Okay. The power is the force of your contraction. So how hard your uterus is contracting. Okay. And this is something that we can only really tell once labor starts, you know, there's no way to predict that before labor, how well your uterus is going to contract. The passenger refers to baby, okay, and his or her weight, you know, it's not just the factor, okay, the exact position of baby within your birth canal and the direction that baby is facing plays a very important role, if not more important than weight, okay? So that's to say, if you have a six-pound baby at 41 weeks, let's say, and your pelvis a little funky, that can be harder to push out than a nine pound baby at 38, you know, whatever weeks, 
that's, you know, perfectly aligned in your pelvis. So that's passenger. And then the last one is passage. Okay. And that refers to you, your anatomy of your pelvis. And obviously, you know, we know that anatomy varies, like not everybody's pelvis is going to be the same shape. So going back to what I said about ultrasounds. So ultrasounds are not very reliable, unfortunately, for estimating fetal weight near term. I'll give a stat. So for a nine pound baby, an ultrasound's predictive accuracy is typically 15 to 20% off. Okay. Which means we may over or underestimate by more than a pound. I said two pounds at the beginning. This one says by more than a pound, but (laughs) I've definitely seen babies be born well, like off from more than a pound. Oh my goodness. So, all right, let's also talk about who is at risk for a big baby, okay? So I talked about in the beginning, I wanted to know if you had gestational diabetes because that is definitely a risk factor for having a large baby. There's definitely, like if you've had a previous big baby before, there's you know a bigger chance that you might have another one. And then maternal obesity is just something that we've seen that you know, can contribute to like, if you have maternal obesity, your chances of having a larger baby are greater. Okay. So now the important part, what are the concerns with having a large baby? Okay. So the biggest one that we're concerned about is this thing called shoulder dystocia. Okay. And a shoulder dystocia, I've talked about it plenty of times before, but if you're new and you don't know what it is, it's basically when your baby comes out, like you're pushing and your baby's head comes out and your baby's shoulders kind of get stuck. Okay. And it can be, you know, pretty frightening for you and for your provider. And it's not fun, you know, to go through. And I can understand why some doctors are like, let's just schedule a C-section or let's just induce you early so we can just not even worry about this shoulder dystocia. But I will say, you know, obviously with C-sections, the risk of having a shoulder, like, you know, there's no pelvis that they're going through, but like even inducing a baby earlier than, you know, waiting for mom to go to term, you still can't have a shoulder dystocia. Okay. And having a C-section comes with additional risks to you. Okay. Increased hospital stays, longer recovery period, added costs. This is a whole lot to say (laughs) that I don't have a perfect answer to your question other than I would have a conversation with your provider about, hey, like this is what I heard on the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast that ultrasounds can, can be a little bit off and also asking him like, is that the only factor that you are like weighing, weighing, I said weighing, but is weight (laughs) the only factor that you're considering as to why like you possibly want to induce me earlier, you possibly want to have a C-section. So yeah, that's really the question is go back and question your provider, ask some more questions to gather some more data, and then you might be able to come to an informed decision. Well, there you go. Well, there There you you go. go. I think that's a very well thought out answer. And I think, you know, (laughs) there's a lot to it, you know, because I get that question all the time. Like, oh my gosh, my baby is going to be so big. And my doctor is saying like, I should have a C-section. It's like, no, dude, there's so much else to think about. Like just because you possibly might have a big baby doesn't mean that you have to have a C-section. Like C-sections are, you know, safe, just like other surgeries and Mm -hmm. they can be Mm -hmm. very, very safe, but they come with additional risks, you know? Right. And also who's to say that, like, why are we encouraging moms who 
our first time moms, I'm not going to make this 30 minutes. Am I? I'm like no. looking at the <laughs> clock, like I've already spent what, 10 minutes on this first question. But hey, like, why can't we just try with a first time mom and mm-hmm. see what happens? Like that's the providers that I work with are very pro like, hey, unless you have some gestational diabetes going on and there are ultrasounds that are like higher level ultrasounds, I think that are a little bit better at predicting weight and other measurements. But they're very like, unless you have gestational diabetes and maybe you've had, like if you've had a previous shoulder dystocia, by all means, I would say, hey, if this baby's measuring big and maybe we want to avoid that shoulder dystocia, like have that conversation with your provider and maybe a scheduled C-section is the best choice for you. But gosh, like the providers that I work with are so like, hey, let's just try. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, geez, like people have big babies just because your baby is big doesn't mean that you can still do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Question two. I'm going to speed through all of these. Sorry. That was not a good start of my 30 minute (laughs) of my 30 minute. Ask me anything. Sorry. Well, that was kind of a complex question. (laughs) It wasn't just like a, you know, yes or no type of thing. So yes, I think this one also, this one's kind of the same, a very similar question, but I'll let you go ahead, Jen. Okay. All right. Question two. I'm a mama of six uncomplicated, quick vaginal deliveries. Number seven on the way. This is my first time with gestational diabetes. I do not do well with the unknown. What can I expect for me and baby after giving birth? My OB says I will most likely have a scheduled C-section because of baby size. What's to expect with having a C-section? Yeah. So this is a similar answer to the first one. Okay. Now we do know that this mom has gestational diabetes. So that is a factor to consider. But here's the thing. This is not medical advice to you who asked this question. You have had six babies come out of your vagina and you're about to have a seventh one. Why in the world would you have a scheduled C-section unless this baby is, I mean, goodness, like gestational diabetes is definitely a factor to consider, but oh my goodness, six babies before, we think we're going to C-section the seventh one just because we possibly think it's big. Mm -hmm. I would give you the same advice that I gave the first person and say, have a discussion with your provider and say, why are you thinking that I need to have a scheduled C-section? I understand the gestational diabetes, but like, let's talk about the gestational diabetes a little bit more too. Is your gestational diabetes super uncontrolled? Have your sugars been like crazy high? Are you on insulin? Or do you have like pretty controlled, you know, gestational diabetes? And like, let's... Again, same advice as I would give the first person, talk to your provider and Mm -hmm. let's come to an informed decision. Now, to answer your second question on what to expect if you do have a scheduled C-section, I did want to answer this just for others out there who might have a scheduled C-section. First of all, we do have Birth It Up the C-section series for moms just like you or, you know, anyone who knows that they are having a C-section already in your pregnancy and you know, you just want to know what to expect. You want to know a lot about recovery. It's a whole, I think, three or four hour course. And we talk about newborn care. Really, really great course. We've had a lot of people take it. So I would definitely check that out. But I will say with scheduled C-sections, the biggest thing with these is they're 
scheduled. Okay. So like you have a date on the calendar and you come in, it's very relaxed. We get you set up. There's no like real emergency unless something comes up like really weird, but usually it's very relaxed. We get you in there. We put you on the monitor. We draw your labs. We start your IV. We ask you a bunch of questions. You're usually there for two and a half hours before your actual surgery because we have to just go over a lot of paperwork and a few people have to see you. But your anesthesiologist comes in there and asks you a bunch of questions. You sign some paperwork. You take some medicine. Take like a little shot of it's called sodium bicarbonate to help your stomach acid. I'm trying to think of other things. Oh, we will shave you if your pubic hair needs to be a little bit shaved. We'll like wipe you with some wipes before we go back. But it's a pretty like standard surgery. Typically with scheduled C sections as well, you can stay awake. So unless you have some you know, reason why you couldn't have a spinal during your surgery, like you have low platelets or you have something else. I don't know. I mean, there's a few reasons why you can't have a spinal, but I would say 95% of people can have spinals during their C-section and it's a super quick little, you know, boop in and then you lay down and the half of your body gets nice and numb and then your provider tests just to make sure you're nice and numb and then you have your partner come in there and sit next to you and then it is literally like five minutes unless you've got a lot of scar tissue that your provider has to really cut through during your surgery to get to your uterus it is usually like five minutes from like when we lay you down and the drape goes up to when you hear your baby cry. The longest part of your C-section is going to be stitching you back up, okay? It's easy to cut. It's not so easy to stitch it back up, okay? So your provider has to just kind of go in there and stitch everything up and close everything back up. And then we go to the PACU. Then you go to postpartum. But again, there's a lot more to it. And there's a lot of other things that I talk about in terms of recovery tips and, you know, newborn basic care info that I talk about in the class. So definitely check that out for any moms who are having scheduled C-sections. Nice. I didn't realize it was such a quick procedure. It is. Yeah. Unless there are, you know, you have other complications. And the only thing that would really make it longer for like just a standard, you know, C-section is like I said, the scar tissue. Or if you have something else that's going on afterwards, like sometimes people will come in and they'll have tubal ligation. So they'll get their tubes tied right Mm. after their surgery. So that can increase Mm -hmm. the time. But I mean, a standard C-section is like an hour. You know, it takes it takes a few minutes to like kind of get you in there and get you prepped and then a few minutes for baby to come out. And then the rest is just stitching you back up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Next question is, I am scared giving birth will hurt, but why do people make it seem like getting an epidural is a bad thing? Are there side effects for me or the baby if I do? What is the downsides? Yeah, I'm sorry that you have this thought process going into it. And a lot of people do. So I will say the biggest downsides to getting an epidural is number one, you can't move around as much during labor. Okay. So typically when you get an epidural, you're kind of confined to the bed. So, you know, you can move around in the bed. There's a lot of positions that we can do for moms who have epidurals. And it is very important that you move after you have an epidural. But we know that moving helps labor progress and it's just good to move during labor. 
so you can't move around as much. Another downside is sometimes they don't work perfectly, okay? This is something that sometimes takes people by surprise when they come in and, oh, wait a second, uh, I got an epidural, but I'm still in pain or this side of my body still hurts and this one's numb. They are not perfect. We try to make them as perfect as they can be, but sometimes you know, they still aren't perfect. So that's definitely a downside. And then I would say the last downside is they possibly might slow down your labor a little bit. Okay. And this is typically because we'll see a mom come in and she'll get an epidural a little bit like in the early labor stage. And you typically when we give epidurals, we give a lot of fluid to you and fluid can kind of slow down your contractions sometimes, especially if you're having contractions that aren't real like active labor contractions. So your epidural, you know, can slow your labor down a little bit. But on the flip side, sometimes it can speed it up. I've seen plenty of moms come in and they are like contracting, contracting, contraction, and they're like tensing up so bad. And then they get their epidural and they relax and they relax. And then they are 10, 70 years dilated. So on the flip side, yeah, it might speed it up. Are you looking for maternity, postpartum, and breastfeeding products that you need and actually work? Yeah, I think we all are, right? (laughs) Bodily has the goods that you need. Bodily believes that when it comes to women's bodies and the physical changes that we experience, the things that no one talks about are the ones that need the most attention. Cannot agree Uh, more with that statement. (laughs) It's not always easy or pretty, but Bodily is here to make these big changes a little bit easier. They provide research-backed information and design-led products to help women navigate their changing bodies with confidence. For example, meet Bodily's The Everything Bra. It's the only bra that you'll need from maternity through nursing because it was made specifically to accommodate the crazy bodily fluctuations that occur throughout that time. Beyond that, it was made with a lactation expert to ensure that it is good for lactating breasts, reducing risk of mastitis and clogged ducts, which are some of the leading causes of early cessation of breastfeeding. The Everything Bra has an ultra comfortable fit that's safe to wear all day and night. Designed for pregnancy through nursing and beyond, it's so comfortable you won't want to go back to anything else. I can vouch for that. (laughs) And you'll never want or need to take it off. Still very much wear um, my Everything Bra, even though I'm, I'm not really doing anything in terms of being pregnant or nursing a baby right now. And then there's Bodily's All-In Panty. That's also designed to be the ultimate panty for a transitioning body during maternity, postpartum, and beyond. They're super soft and stretchy, high-waisted, which is especially important for not irritating C-section incisions, and are slightly cheeky so that you can be covered up, but you still kind of feel like yourself. Bodily's Cozy Socks are the perfect addition to your hospital bag. They have grippy bottoms for hospital floors and are made of super soft and cozy cotton for pregnancy and postpartum. You can get these three products separately, but they are also now available in one great set called the Everything Set. And if you're in the second or third trimester and you're looking for a complete all-in-one solution, you can take the hospital bag checklist off of your to-do list with Bodily's Care for Birth box, which has several elevated birth recovery, postpartum, and breastfeeding essentials. 
up-leveled from the ones that you get at the hospital. And if you're in the second or third trimester and you're looking for a complete all-in-one solution, you can take that hospital bag checklist off your to-do list with Bodily's Care for Birth Box. This has several elevated birth recovery, postpartum, and breastfeeding essentials up-leveled from the ones that you get at the hospital that you really didn't know that you needed until you really do. Because you're a Mommy Labor Nurse podcast listener, you can take 10% off purchases over $95 with the code MLN10. Shop their complete line of birth recovery, postpartum, and breastfeeding products now at itsbodily.com. That's I-T-S-B-O-D-I-L-Y.com. And now let's get right back into this week's episode. So let's go over side effects for a quick second. So the biggest side effect is a decrease in your blood pressure, okay? So it's usually mild when we have this happen, but that's definitely the biggest side effect. And there's a lot of things that we can do to get your blood pressure back up, okay? But really, during your pregnancy, your baby relies on his or her blood supply, from your placenta, okay? And when your blood pressure drops, one of the first things that your body does is shunt your blood flow away from your placenta, okay? And redirect it towards your vital organs like your brain, your heart, your lungs, because your body is basically saying when it's doing this, like, oh my gosh, my blood pressure is low. I need to save myself. So I'm not gonna give any extra blood flow to organs that are not vital, okay? And your placenta is not a vital organ, according to your body. Okay. So it starts to shunt this blood flow away and that can be detrimental for baby because baby needs your, you know, blood (laughs) to, (laughs) to have oxygen and to breathe and to, you know, we want baby to have a good blood flow. So your blood pressure can decrease, but there are a lot of things we can do to get it back up. We can give you medications. We can give you IV fluids. We can change your positions. Really one of the most common things we do is just give a medication called ephedrine and that brings it right up and it's like no big deal. All right. So I went over the most common side effect. There are a couple other side effects that are not so common, but they are still risks. Okay. So it's good to be aware of them. You can get something called a spinal headache, which is like a really, really bad headache. Okay. After you give birth or after you have a spinal, it's not just after you give birth, but after you have a spinal procedure, you can have something called a high dose epidural where the medication goes a little bit too high and you can have a little bit of trouble breathing. And then a couple other things that are like quote unquote side effects are, like I said, you can't really get out of bed. You know, you can't move around. Sometimes it slows down labor. You might have back pain. This one, I'm not even going to go into that, that one because I've done a podcast episode with anesthesiologists before who say, this is a total myth that back pain after epidurals do not, that is not a thing. But then I have a whole community of moms saying, I have gotten an epidural and I still feel the space where they put the epidural in me. And like, why wow. are you telling me that it's not connected? But like, there's no literature to suggest that back pain has anything to do with you getting an epidural. So I'll just, I'll just say that. <laughs> and then the last thing is you might itch. Okay. So epidurals, it does have a little bit of an opiate in it. Typically, most of them do. So that's just the side effect of getting an opiate is you can be itchy. And then also you can kind of be shivery. A lot of times we have moms who shake kind of uncontrollably after labor. And it's not because you're cold. It's just a side effect from the epidural medication. And it can also be a side effect just of labor. Labor, you know, kind of just makes you safe. I will say, 
last point though, even though I've gone through some of this stuff and I've been talking for a long time and I'm definitely not going <laughs> to make all these 10 questions, I'm going to end this on a positive note. So from a medical standpoint, receiving an epidural is considered a very safe option for pain control during labor, okay? Hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands of women receive them annually here in the U.S. and all over the world. And they would not be as popular, you know, if they have this big, like, unsafe. They obviously come with possible complications and risks, you know, that can arise. But most of these are rare. And, you know, it's your choice to decide whether an epidural is for you or not. Yeah, I've heard so many moms saying they freaking love their epidural. And I probably will get one, too. So, yeah, there are side effects just with everything, you know. It's just so. about, you know, there's side effects with taking ibuprofen. There's exactly. a whole list of side effects on the, on the, but, and some people are like, I don't want to take ibuprofen because I, I could have these side effects, but other people are like, it's worth it to me. I have a headache. Let me take some ibuprofen. And yeah. I mean, that's kind of a very good way to, to look at it. Yeah. It's a personal choice. All right, the sound of that baby crying means it's time for this week's segment of Birth It Up Babies. All right, this DM says, Hi, I feel like I am so late in the game because my baby is already six months old. That's okay. I will always read a Birth It Up Baby. She says, But your vaginal delivery with an epidural course was a lifesaver. She's talking about Birth It Up, the epidural series. She said, I was absolutely terrified to give birth and found myself having panic attacks just thinking about it. But after taking your course, I knew exactly what to expect when they put me on Pitocin, when to get the epidural, and even had the most amazing labor experience. My nurses were literal angels too. Oh, I love that. I felt confident, calm, and excited the whole 18 hours, and your course was a big part in that. Oh, I love it. Oh, thank you guys. I love these birth it up babies. I really do. So keep them coming. You can send them to me on Instagram or you can send me an email. I just, I just love reading them. All right. If you want to check out the course that this mom took, she took birth it up the epidural series and you can head over to mommylabornurse.com and click on the epidural series. All right. Let's get right back into this week's episode. All right. Next question. So tips for helping blood pressure regulate if it drops after an epidural, which you kind of answered in the last question. This is a quick one. I can get through this one very (laughs) quickly. Okay. So yes, your blood pressure dropping is a very common thing that might happen. If you have any complications, complications after having an epidural, it's probably going to be because your blood pressure has dropped a little bit. So my advice to you is there's really nothing you can do. Just let us worry about it. There's stuff that we can do. There's really nothing that you can do other than say, hey, you know, if you have any symptoms, like I'm feeling a little bit dizzy, let us know. But unfortunately, there's nothing, there's nothing that you can do, but Mm -hmm. we will handle it from there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They'll take care of you. (laughs) All right. Next question. I've heard that inductions are harder on the body, both during labor and then recovery. Is that accurate? Can you share some info about inductions? Okay, so this is a good one too, and I'm going to try not make this one super long because I could really get far into this one. So as far as postpartum, I have not seen any literature to suggest that Pitocin inductions, you know, Pitocin slash inductions are any like quote unquote harder on your body. We used to think that Pitocin increased your risk for postpartum hemorrhage. And even though there's no literature to suggest that 
Pitocin increases your risk of a postpartum hemorrhage. What I've seen at the bedside is if you've been an induction for a long, long time and you've been getting Pitocin at a high rate for a long, long time, I'm going to be just a little bit worried about you bleeding after delivery. And that's all, all I'll say about that. And let's see, as far as labor, your other question about labor. So the thing with why people think that labor is harder when you have an induction is because it can be. So when we give you Pitocin, we're artificially starting your labor, okay? And from the moms that I have heard from who have had inductions with Pitocin and then they've had childbirth with just, you know, you go into labor spontaneously, they say that Pitocin's are typically harder, but they're also different. And the other thing too is sometimes when we give you Pitocin, you can have these things called erratic contractions where they're kind of back to back to back to back. We don't want you to be having those the whole time, but sometimes that can make them harder too. So I'll say though too, this is not to say you can't go natural or you have to get an epidural during your induction. There are plenty of moms who have gone natural, you know, unmedicated, no problem with inductions. But yes, they can make your labor contractions, quote unquote, harder, if that makes sense. That does make sense. All right. Next question. Doctor says baby will have to have heart surgery within the first day or two of birth and will go straight to the ICU. How do I mentally prepare for this immediate separation slash surgery so early in life? Yeah, I'm sorry that you are having to deal with this. So this question, I will say, I was reading about this before this we got on this podcast episode. And one of the things that I came across in like the most frequent was people saying that the thing that helped them the most was community and finding other people who are going through a similar experience and connecting with them and talking with them and hearing their stories. So that would be my first advice to you is to find some support somewhere, whether it is a a support group in your area, whether it's like a Facebook support group, whether it's an Instagram page, whether, you know, wherever it is. If you know that your baby's going to have to have heart surgery, I'm assuming you know why. So you might, you know, find specific moms who have babies who have a similar condition. You can connect with them. There are also, you know, tons of moms who have had babies have neonatal surgeries right after birth. So you can connect with those types of moms as well. But yeah, community is definitely my biggest advice for you. I would say too, if you're able to get up, go ahead and get set up with a therapist to work through some of this and talk through some of these feelings. Because a lot of times we start therapy like you know, a few, (laughs) a little bit after we probably should have. So kind of the earlier you can talk through this with a therapist, the better. So if you have that available, definitely take advantage of a therapist and finding a good one. There are therapists that specialize in perinatal health. So you can get on, I think it's psychologytoday.com and just click, 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 like pregnancy, postpartum, I want this, I don't want this. And you can find a therapist that really matches for what you're needing. And then my last advice to you would be start getting comfortable with asking questions and advocating not just for yourself, but for your baby. Okay. Some people are better at asking questions than others. So I would say, you know, 
in that time period of your baby having surgery, there's going to be a lot of back and forth conversations between you and the providers and the nurses and all of this stuff. So ask lots and lots of questions, okay? It is always okay to ask questions and yeah, just get very comfortable with that. Yeah, that's really tough. I'm sorry you're going through that, but definitely lots and lots of support with anything really that you're going through. Like, you know, Facebook groups even help me a lot with just random things. If I'm curious about things or, you know, just anything, it's really great to relate to other people and learn from them and connect with them. So yeah, I'm the same way. I do really well with either Facebook groups or like small groups. I've done support groups before where we're all on Zoom. Yeah. Community is like so therapeutic. Yes, for sure. All right. Next question. I've always gotten the epidural and pushed by extending my stomach out and bearing down. Now that I know about deep core breathing and plan to go natural and know about, is it diastasis? Diastasis recti? So when Nikki was on from the Bella Method, mm-hmm. we had this conversation. Is it diastasis or is it diastasis? I think yeah. some people say diastasis and some people say diastasis. So okay, we were calling it DR. So you can call it DR All if right. you want. <laughs> All right. Well, DR and know about <laughs> DR. I'm wondering if it's better to breathe and push with deep core breaths and squeezing the abdomen instead of out. Yeah. So very quick answer. Yes. But here's the thing. Like if you can push like that, great. That is the best way to push to prevent DR, diastasis recti. (laughs) And it's, you know, really good for your body. Okay. But I will say it's hard. So if you can practice your deep core breathing before, you know, during your pregnancy, that's going to help. And if you can push that way during, during your birth, great, do it and just keep doing it. If not, then it's okay to, you know, kind of do some standard pushing as well. But yeah, the more really the better, but it is hard, you know, unfortunately hard for some people to do. All right. Next question. Do you have any resources for the support person during labor and delivery? My mom is going to be there with me and I just want to gather some resources for her to refer to on how she can support me during labor. All right. So first of all, in all of our courses, we do have a specific lesson just for partners. It's not just talking about like your significant other. I think anybody who is a support person during birth can benefit from that section. So definitely check out our courses. There's like a whole section on that and there's printables and stuff you can you can print out. And then I would also say though too, I'm not just going to say, hey, go check out our course. I'll actually give you a few tips. So I would say to your mom and you, like let's have a conversation before birth and let's talk about What are some ways that you think that you know how you are, how you think that your mom can best support you, okay? Are you the kind of person that you really like when somebody is giving you lots of words of affirmation? They're saying, hey, you're doing a really great job, like keep it up. Or, you know, are you more like, hey, I like the touch. I want, you know, you to be kind of all over me. Are you more, you know, you want kind of total silence or... This, that, and the other. So have a conversation about that. I would say get your mom involved when you are filling out your birth plan and share with your mom, you know, kind of your birth preferences so she's not just completely in the dark. And then I would also say, hey, like, if you can't 
get, you know, get into our course and, you know, see all of that information. Have your mom look up some birth affirmations, like have her write a few of them down to have on her phone that she can say to you during labor. If you just Google mommy labor nurse and counter pressure, we have, I think we have a blog article. Then, I mean, I know I've done Instagram posts on it too, on how to do counter pressure. Counter pressure is a really good skill to have to support you during labor. If you're having back labor, really, I mean, it helps with if you're not having back labor too. So I would say get her to learn about counter pressure and practice it. And then I would also say to her the same thing that I say to all partners is that it can be long and tiring for you, okay? And it is really hard to see someone that you love regardless of if it is your significant other or Mm -hmm. if it is your daughter. It's really hard to see them going through something that is really, really hard and it's really hard to see them go through all this pain. So if you need a moment to kind of compose yourself, you can step outside. It's okay. Your nurse, you know, or doula, if you have a doula, will be more than happy to just kind of step in and care for mom. But I will say, you know, don't feel like you have to stay in that room the whole time if you are just like, oh my God, I can't, like, I need a minute. It's okay to step out. But also realize going in that you might have these feelings and that is okay. And that's totally normal. Like, because it is very, very hard for some people. It's very hard for my husband, but it's very hard for some people to see their loved ones go through pain. And then my last tip for your mom is to have her take pictures because I don't think I've had anybody say, I wish I took less pictures during birth. So if your mom can be like your picture taker too, like that's her job. She is the picture taker. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I also want to say, I think it's really special that you have your mom there. Like she's going to remember that forever. And I'm sure she like so appreciates being there for you. So that's really cool. Totally. All right. Next question. Can you help explain the different pain relief methods, i.e. standard epidural versus walking epidural, counter pressure, pudendal block? Pudendal block. Yes. So all of these are in a blog article that I'm going to have Jenna or someone else put into the show notes page for you to read. Okay. Because there's a lot to unpack with this one. I'll briefly talk about the ones that you listed, but there's a lot of other methods as well, like other than the ones that you listed. So I'm going to put that link in the show notes page for you to check out. It's just, I think it's called pain meds. Like if you don't want to get an epidural, here are some pain medication options. So as far as the standard epidural, that is a standard epidural, goes into your back, it's a procedure, you know, your legs get numb, it should take the contraction pain completely away, but you still will feel the pressure of baby's head when you're pushing. Your legs shouldn't be completely dead, so you can't move them, but you should be able to move them, but you shouldn't have painful contractions, okay? So that is a standard epidural. A walking epidural is a little bit different depending on where you live. I have seen some true walking epidurals, not at the facility that I work at, but just with connecting with other people that these epidurals that are super low dose and you can get up and actually move out of bed with assistance. But generally what we call a walking epidural is a low dose epidural that you still are pretty much required to stay in bed, but you have a lot of mobility. Like you can really move your legs. You can, 
you know, put weight on your legs and everything and move around. So that's a walking epidural. And then counter pressure is, I talked about that briefly in the other question, but that's just a method that you can do your partner or your doula, your nurse can do to help with back labor. It's like basically where we put your hands on either sides of your hips and it helps to give some of that counter pressure (laughs) back. So it kind of helps to like fan your hips out a little bit. And by pushing really, really hard on your hips, it's this thing called the gate control theory of pain. And again, I go over this a lot in the article, so I would encourage you to go and read the article. But the counter pressure definitely doesn't make the contractions go away like a standard epidural or a walking epidural should. It's just a way to, you know, help relieve them a little bit. Pudendal block, what you said, it's basically like a shot of lidocaine in your vagina. So it doesn't help with contraction pain, but it can help. It doesn't go in your vagina. It goes into a different space, but that's the easiest way to say it. So it does not help with contraction pain, but it can help with the pain of pushing. And these are rare. Not a lot of people do them anymore, but it is, you know, an option. But again, I would check out that link in the show notes page. Yeah. That walking epidural sounds pretty cool. Do they do that at most hospitals now, or is that only kind of a few hospitals here and there? Again, I think when we talk about walking epidurals, most people refer to a walking epidural as that really low dose epidural where you're not truly walking around the room. So in that sense, my hospital does do walking epidurals because they give pretty low dose epidurals. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All righty. This is the last question. Okay. We're only what, 20 minutes over? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Not too bad. Not too bad. All right. My doctor wants to use a balloon to dilate my cervix possibly. What is this exactly? It sounds painful. Yes, it does. The reason why I chose this one was I thought that you said, because Jenna was gathering some resources (laughs) for me before this episode, and I thought she wrote underneath this question, sounds painful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, that was her, but I agree with her. So, <laughs> All right. So to answer your question, yeah, a Foley bulb is exactly what you just said. So it's a balloon to dilate your cervix manually, and it's used for typically first-time moms to prep your cervix, okay? It usually doesn't throw people into labor. A small percentage of people, we put the Foley bulb in and it gets their body to start contracting. But for the majority of people, it just kind of preps your cervix and gets it nice and soft and thinned out and dilated a little bit. Because if we're starting Pitocin, which is the medication that gets you contracting, actually contracting, if we're starting Pitocin when your cervix is not ripe, when it's, you know, closed and hard and, you know, kind of thick, then we're going to have to give you a lot of Pitocin. It's going to be a lot harder to really get you into good hard labor. So we want your cervix to be a little bit, you know, nice and soft and kind of open and kind of thin. And that Foley bulb can help you get to that spot. There are also medications that we can use. So yeah, a Foley bulb is just, it's like this, if you've ever seen a Foley catheter, that's what it is. So they just kind of stick this little tube in your cervix and they blow up like a little bit of water. And it's like this little bulb that kind of sits on top of your cervix, like in between baby's head, if baby's head is kind of above the balloon and your baby's head pushes on this balloon to help it go through your cervix. Okay. And so once it goes through your cervix, your cervix is about three to four centimeters dilated. Okay. Sometimes these Foley bulbs stay in for 
30 minutes. Sometimes they stay in for 12 hours. It just kind of depends on your body and how your cervix was coming in. I will say too, not everyone needs a Foley bulb. Okay. If you come in and your cervix is two or three centimeters dilated and your cervix is already ripe, you don't need any ripening. You don't need a Foley bulb. But yeah, that's what it is in a nutshell. So does the Foley bulb pop? (laughs) I mean, I guess it can, but no, it usually doesn't pop. It usually just like pops out. Like imagine your cervix as your fist, okay? And the Foley bulb like kind of goes through like this. And then Mm -hmm. I take some, I know you guys can't see me, but Jenna can. And then I take a syringe and I fill, there's like a little kind of bulb I have one. I could show you right now, but I'm not going to do it. There's kind of like a bulb that is on the very end of this tube. And so I take a syringe and I shoot it like through this tube and it fills up this bulb. So it's like a little ball. And so it sits on top of your cervix and your baby kind of pushes on it and it doesn't pop it. It doesn't pop it unless it's a weird Foley bulb and and it's faulty or something. But once it comes through your cervix, it sits in your vagina. And then we just, sometimes it falls out on its own, like while you're in the bed, or maybe you got up to use the bathroom and it just kind of came out of your vagina. But usually we tug on it and do tension to kind of get it to come through your cervix. So usually when I'm doing one of those tug checks, it comes out. And I usually always say, happy birthday. You have a fully bulb. (laughs) That's cute. That's cute. (laughs) I got to read the crowd. Some patients are, you know, they're kind of like, I'm not going to say that. But if if you're cool, I'll say happy birthday. You just had a fully bulb. (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) so all right well that's it yeah those were 10 questions I think I did them in maybe 45 minutes so but yeah I wanted to get through all of them to answer for you guys I love these episodes where I just kind of get on and just ramble so if you like these episodes let me know if you don't you can let me know too that's fine (laughs) but yeah catch you guys next week All right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and letting me be a part of your motherhood journey. It is truly an honor. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And I love hearing what you guys think of the podcast. So if you're liking what you hear or you have a suggestion, I'd be so grateful if you'd go ahead and leave me a review wherever you're listening to help more mamas just like you find the show. What do you think? Are you starting to feel a little more confident about your pregnancy and birth? Well, if you want more, be sure to head on over to mommylabornurse.com slash podcast for today's show notes and a library of episodes so you can keep getting educated before your upcoming birth. And while you're over there, be sure to check out the blog and learn about our online birth classes. Find it all and more over at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. See you next week. Same time, same place.